You're listening to the podcast for Asbury United Methodist Church. Join us every Sunday for worship at 8.30 or 10.45. Find out more at asburybosier.org. So time after time, we've been talking of, of, of lots of ways of understanding time and how Scripture points to the way in which we understand time and perceive time. We've talked about wasting time. We've talked about looking into the future. It's interesting when, when, uh, uh, when we gather together uh, today, we, we're talking about when, when time makes no sense, right? Uh, for example, and sometimes maybe we don't think about it. Maybe, we, maybe you hadn't considered this. But for example, with prayer, when we gather together for prayer, time is nonsensical because we are praying in the present moment for God to redeem our past so that we might leave on a future new trajectory. So even in the act of prayer, time can be nonsensical. And in our reading in the Gospel of John, as we get closer and closer to Jerusalem, closer and closer to Palm Sunday and Holy Thursday and Good Friday and Easter, time begins to break down a bit because of what Jesus has done on the cross. Things start to come together. Time starts to fall apart and it all kind of becomes, or as the doctor says in Doctor Who, from a non-linear, non-subjective point of view, time is just this wibbly-wobbly, timey-wimey ball of stuff. Right, And we see that in our scripture lesson today. So, our scripture lesson comes from the Gospel of John, the 12th chapter, beginning with the first verse. It'll be on the screens, it'll be online, and it's also in your Bible. Let us hear the word of the Lord. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, the home of Lazarus, whom he raised from the dead. There they gave a dinner for him, and Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those at the table with him. Mary took a pound of costly perfume made of pure nard, anointed Jesus' feet, and wiped them with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, the one who was about to betray him, said, Why was this perfume not sold for 300 denarii and the woman uh, and the money given to the poor? And he said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief and he kept the common purse and he used to steal what was put into it. Jesus said, leave her alone. She bought it so that she might keep it for the day of my burial. You always have the poor with you but you do not always have me. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Time can be a funny thing, or at least our perception of time can be a funny thing, right? And maybe you've experienced this. Sometimes when time moves excruciatingly slow, you know, like, in the last two and a half minutes of a basketball game when everything just seems to stop with reckless abandon, hypothetically, emphasis on the pathetically. (sighs) Or, or, sometimes time moves much more quickly than you imagine time 
moving. Like, remember when you, when you were a kid, summer vacation seemed like forever. But now as grown-ups, we're like, wait, what happened? <laughs> what happened to the summer, right? It seems to move like that, right? And that's an honest perception of time. And it has to do with how much time has elapsed based upon how long we have been here. So, for example, the reason why when you're a kid and, like, summer vacation seems longer than it is, if you're three years old, summer vacation in one year is about, uh, I think it's about 10% of your entire life. If you're three years old, one summer is about 10% of your life. So it seems really long. Right? If you're 50, in other words, an equivalent is if you're 50 years old, summer vacation would feel like five years. Right? But then as an adult, because we've been here longer and time progressively seems to get shorter and shorter and shorter, it's because cumulatively, it, it, it's the bigger picture of how long we've been here. So we see our experiences differently. And then sometimes, sometimes this weird thing happens where, where time is both long and short at the same time. And it's called parenthood, right? Maybe you've heard this. There's nothing truer said about parenthood than, maybe you could say it with me, uh, the days are long, but the years are short. Yeah. It's both long and short all at the same time. Those days when you're like in diapers trying to not go mad, and you blink an eye and they're graduating high school, right? Time can be a funny thing. In the Gospel of John, John doesn't care about timelines. He just doesn't care. John doesn't care about the ordered, organized way that we like to think about cause and effect. John just doesn't care. Very strange thing happens in our text this morning, right? So keep this in your mind. We are in John chapter 12. In John chapter 12, it says Jesus went to the home of Lazarus, whom he raised from the dead. That happens in John chapter 11, right? Are we good so far, right? So he's at the home of Lazarus, whom he raised from the dead. And there, in that meeting, Mary anoints Jesus' feet, or Jesus' feet with with this really costly perfume and, and, and wipes his feet with her hair. This very, very intimate, extravagant act. All of that happens in John chapter 12. When we step back a chapter into John chapter 11, what happens? It says that Jesus went to the home of Lazarus and Martha and Mary who anointed Jesus' feet. It's even written in the past tense, but it hasn't happened yet. How bozo is that? Right? Are you following me? John chapter 11, where Lazarus is dead, it says that Mary anointed Jesus' fleet, but that doesn't happen until John chapter 12. And it's not a mistake. It's not that the stories are backwards or reversed because Lazarus is dead, Mary anointed Jesus' feet, Lazarus is alive, and the anointing actually happens. And it's because John doesn't care. When you're talking about the things of God, we need to break out of this idea that everything has to fit on this ordered, very perfect, organized timeline of cause to effect. John doesn't care. 
So what happens in this story? We have these two characters, Mary and Judas. Dun, dun, dun. Judas has appeared now uh, in the gospel. And Jesus comes in, and Mary uses this very costly perfume and anoints Jesus' feet. And then Judas, just like a Judas would, like, like, like a Tar Heel, he, he comes into the, to the story, and he's like, wait a minute. Why did you not sell this perfume and give the proceeds to the poor? You would have raised like 300 denarii. Or like, you know, Jesus Christ Superstar, there's this really cool interaction. Why has it been wasted? We could have raised maybe 300 silver pieces or more. Right? And then Jesus and Judas like get into it. Right? It's so cool. Um, is Judas wrong? Is Judas wrong? Should they not have sold the perfume to raise money for the poor? And Jesus says this really curious thing. He goes, man, you have the poor always with you. I won't always be here. And it sounds almost callous. It sounds almost rude. But Jesus is quoting Deuteronomy, which says, Deuteronomy 15, for those of you keeping score, Deuteronomy 15, since there will never cease to be someone in need on earth, I therefore command you to open your hand to the poor and needy neighbor in your land. I command you to help the poor because there will never cease to be poor on the earth. I command you then to help the poor. So we are commanded in both Testaments, old and new, to open our hand to the poor. If helping the poor and being in ministry with the poor is not a part of your community of faith's DNA, it's, I'm hard-pressed to say that you are not a Christian community of faith. We are commanded to open our hand. But this story really isn't about economics, or at least I've preached that. It can be. The problem isn't, should Mary, you should have sold that and given it to the poor. If we had been in the story a little bit longer, I imagine Jesus saying, you know, Judas, if this bothers you, you can sell your possessions and help the poor. How human is that, that Judas walks into the story? He doesn't say, oh my gosh, that is costly perfume. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to sell some of my belongings and give to the poor. That's what I want to, this has inspired me. Okay, yeah, it's wasteful and I don't like it, but it has inspired me to change me and I'm going to go out and I'm going to raise up 300 silver pieces and I'm going to help the poor. That is not what he says. He says, why didn't you do this? We care very much about how other people use their money without maybe taking a moment to look at how we are using our money? That's a fine sermon, especially during Stewardship Month. That's a fine sermon to preach. But we're listening to the Gospel of John. We're looking at the Gospel of John. With the Gospel of John, you have layers. Each layer can stand on its own just fine. That's a fine sermon. Don't put your nose in what other people are doing with their money if you are not making the commitment to also be holy about your money, right? Jesus talked about that. Speck in the, uh, in the eye of someone else and the big plank coming out of your eye, right? You've heard that parable before. That's a fine sermon. But this is John. And with John, you got to keep digging. And you got to keep looking through the words. Because with John, there's this beautiful thing that happens. The stories in and of themselves are great. But when you take one story and you take another story from the Gospel of John and you put them together, it gives you this whole other flavor of what's going on. For example, last night we had pork sliders before uh, the game uh, last night. And they were delicious. Now, 
I had done these pork sliders two weeks ago. Um, and they, they were Hawaiian-inspired pork sliders. So they're pork, they're kind of sweet with uh, uh, Swiss cheese and coleslaw and pickles. And the secret ingredient, pineapple. And it is delicious. And when I served pineapple with the pork sliders, my entire family scoffed. They didn't want the pineapple. And they're wrong because it's delicious. So I went to Duke, right? When you leave Duke, you get two things. You get a degree and then an overinflated sense of self-worth. I was not wrong in putting pineapple on those sliders, right? But they didn't want them. So I wised up. Last night, I didn't get any. I didn't get any pineapple. Left it at the store. Left it at the Brookshire's. But I did get pineapple Hawaiian barbecue sauce. It's like when you shape broccoli to look like steak and you serve it to your kids. Like, that's what happened, right? It's a little bait and switch going on, right? What happens, it's kind of like that scene in Ratatouille. Have you seen Ratatouille? It's such a great movie. You need to go see Ratatouille. Ratatouille, by the way, is, is, it's, it's an entire metaphor of what Holy Communion is. We don't have time today. Don't panic. We don't have time today. We'll talk about that in another sermon. But there's a great scene where Remy, right, the, the rat, right, he takes a bite of a strawberry and he's like, oh, mm, this is great. It's like acidic and fruity and tangy. And then he takes a bite of the cheese. He's like, oh, wait a minute. This is like smoky and creamy and, you know, whatever. And then what does he do? He eats both of them at the same time. And then there's this whole like Cuban fusion going on in the background. Like this is wonderful. This is the gospel of John. Each story, it could be a strawberry. It could be a piece of cheese. It could be fine just as a boring pork slider. Or, or you can put pineapple on it and you get this whole other thing going on, right? So this is what happens in this story. Just like, just like John chapter 3 and John chapter 4. John chapter 3, you know this chapter. It's Jesus and Nicodemus, right? Be born again. Be born from above. Who doesn't know John three sixteen? right? For God so, so loved the world, right? Uh, so there's a story of Jesus and Nicodemus, and it stands on its own just fine. But then you get to John chapter 4, and we get this other story of Jesus and the Samaritan woman at the well. And that story stands on its own just fine. But, oh, baby, when you put the pork slider with the, the pineapple, what happens is you begin to see what John is doing, and there's this other flavor that emerges. In John chapter 3, this is what we have. We have Jesus meeting with a named man of high privilege in secret in the middle of the night, and he leaves the conversation confused. How am I supposed to be born again? My mom's not going to like that at all, right? He doesn't know what Jesus is talking about. Named man of high status in the middle of the night, in secret, and he leaves confused. We turn to John chapter 4, and what happens? An unnamed woman in the center of town at high noon, uh, and she's of low status, and she converts her entire town to Christianity. She gets it at the end. In other words, these stories are inverses of each other. And we begin to understand just how magnificent the Gospel of John is. This whole other pork slider emerged, right? Same thing is happening in this story. There's a reason why John chapter 11 and John chapter 12 are right next door to each other. In John chapter 11, um, they stop Jesus because he says, roll the stone away. And Martha says, what are you doing? 
It's going to stink. He's been dead for four days. What's wrong with you? John chapter 12, Jesus is anointed with costly perfume and it said the fragrance filled the room. There's a cost in John chapter 11. Hey, Jesus, your friend Lazarus is ill and Jesus spends two days not doing anything. You should have sold that and taken the money and given it to the poor. That's what you should have done. Right? Jesus, if you had only been here, this wouldn't have happened. So there's blame. Judas, stop blaming her for her gift. Except in this story, we have Lazarus being raised. And in this story, we have Jesus preparing for his death. They are parallels until we get to the end. And then they become inverted. Because that's the gospel of John. He doesn't care about timeline. He doesn't care about your level of expectation. He doesn't care if you think you know how the story is going to end. John chapter 11 sits on its own just fine. John chapter 12 sits on its own just fine. But when you put them together, you get to this place where where time doesn't make sense, right? And it's because John is pushing us into an irrational world. An irrational world of resurrection. Resurrection doesn't make any sense. And that's exactly where John is pushing us. John is pushing us into a world. He wants us to lean into a world where water can become wine. John wants us to lean into a world where five loaves and two fish are enough because everybody sat down and they started sharing what they had. John wants to lean into a world in which a woman whom society has deemed, uh, has dismissed, convicts her entire town and leaves being the first evangelist in the entire gospel. John wants us to lean into a world where Simon the Zealot, who wanted to overthrow the government, and Matthew the tax collector, who worked for the government, are both in the same place working for Jesus, and it wasn't their politics that got them there. John wants us to lean into a world where our hands are extended toward the poor, not for a hand out, but a hand with, so that we might walk with one another. John wants us to lean into a world where we are obsessed with life and love and the beauty of now. When Jesus says the poor will always be with you, he is calling our attention to now and the beauty of what now is. Where time is no thing, it just is. For example, imagine like your first best friend or your first crush, or someone really super important to you in your life. Do you remember that first conversation you had that like lasted all night? And you're talking and the sun's coming up and you're like, oh my God, what happened? What happened to the time? It's not that time was moving any differently. It's just because you were so 
enamored with the other that time simply didn't matter. Time didn't matter. You weren't keeping track of it. You weren't looking for it. It was spent and you didn't even notice it. We are slaves to the second hand. But when we find ourselves in a place of being enamored with the other, time makes no sense. It doesn't have to. That's eternal life. That's eternal life. Eternal life is not elongated life. Eternal life is we are so enamored with the presence of God through Jesus that time doesn't have to make sense. That's the world John wants us to see. That's the world he is pushing us into, this irrational world where time doesn't have to make sense. And I hope, beginning on Sunday, this will start to make sense to you. Because on Sunday, oh, I don't know if I mentioned, Sunday we have one worship service at 10 o'clock. And after this worship service, we're going to get our hands busy doing the work of God. We're going to be stuffing Easter eggs. We're going to have an Easter egg hunt. We're going to be eating together. All of that is what it means to be in fellowship with one another and to be a disciple of Jesus. And then the next day, we will gather again. And we'll do an Easter egg hunt at Plantation Park. And then the next day, we're going to gather again and we're going to serve food. And then the next day, we're going to be at the hub. And then Holy Thursday, we're going to come here and we're going to have a worship service at 6 o'clock. And then Good Friday, we're going to have a tenebrae service, which means service of shadows, which is so cool. Every day, we will gather with one another doing the work of God. Now, at the end of it, you could be a little like Judas and say, oh my God, this is exhausting. This is a lot of work. And like now I'm tired for Easter and like I don't, I don't even want to make deviled eggs, right? You know, deviled, you know, the <sighs> blue deviled eggs and taste like tears. <laughs> or we can be so enamored with the lives of each other and the lives we're walking with and the people we are serving that at the end of it all we say, I need more of this, and we begin to finally understand what eternal life is. It's not elongated life. It is we are enamored by God through Christ to the point where time makes no sense. It doesn't have to. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.